Hey everybody, good morning. So good to see you today. And I want to talk to you this morning about taking a 24-day prayer challenge. Actually, I have a couple of goals for you that I want to share right from the outset as clearly as I can. My first goal is to persuade you from God's word and from history of the primacy of corporate prayer. So that you never view prayer quite the same again. The primacy of corporate prayer. And secondly, I want to encourage you to take a step forward in your own participation and confidence in prayer. Not just individual prayer, but prayer with other believers who gather together to see God's glory manifested. And here's where I want to begin. I want to begin with a reminder that the emphasis of the New Testament is on corporate prayer, praying together. So this morning I'm on a mission, so to speak. I want to convince you that God has sovereignly ordained the corporate praying of the church to exponentially increase and accelerate his mighty purposes in the world. That's what happens when God's people pray together. But understand that this message is not meant to minimize at all personal praying. That part comes, uh, I think, a little easier for most of us. I'm focusing on praying together, corporate prayer today. I want to show that personal prayer alone will not often result in the working of God to the degree that we need for breakthroughs in our lives, in our families, in our church, our nation, and the world. You might be thinking to yourself, well, that's a pretty bold statement. Do you got anything to back that up? And I'm glad you asked because that's where we're going today. So, four proofs from the Word of God and from history that establish the desperate need we have as believers to be part of prayer gatherings in the body of Christ. Listen, praying churches are used by God to change the world, and I want to give you four proofs. Here's number one. Praying together was modeled and practiced by Christ himself. Jesus not only practiced and modeled the importance of personal prayer, but he also taught and modeled the importance of praying together. There are some 37 verses in the Gospels or passages in the Gospels that describe Jesus' teaching and practice of prayer. And of those 37 instances where he refers to prayer, 33 of them are addressing a plural rather than a singular audience. And the idea is that Jesus was encouraging praying together, not just praying alone. Take, for example, Matthew 18, 19. Here, Jesus deliberately emphasized the significance of praying together. Listen to his words again. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And then he goes on and he says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So Jesus deliberately chose to emphasize the value of gathering as a group to pray together. That indicates to us God's desire for us to pray in such gatherings where he uniquely and powerfully chooses to work. Here's one more example. This is John 18:2. Remember that Jesus made a habit of praying with his disciples, and we gather that from this passage. John 18 says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, 
where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. The Garden of Gethsemane was a place, we believe, where Jesus often met with his disciples for prayer. So no wonder the apostles picked up on this and made it part of their practice as the ancient church. They had heard and they had seen Jesus emphasize and model that very thing. Let's move on to the second proof that God uses praying churches, gatherings to change the world. Number two, praying together was a priority for the early church. The book of Acts records the mighty works of God in and through his church in those early years of the church. And clearly, Luke, the author of Acts, connects the mighty works that God accomplished to the unified corporate praying of his people. So remember, the church began as the apostles in a group of about 120 gathered in Jerusalem for prayer right after Christ left and returned to heaven. They sought the Lord first for someone to replace Judas, who betrayed Christ. And they waited and they prayed for the gift of the Holy Spirit. But listen to this summary in Acts 1.14 of that period of time. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. That's how the church was born. That's how it came into existence, out of this 10-day prayer meeting in an upper room in Jerusalem. And prayer continued to be foundational in the early church. Let's move on to Acts 2.42 for another example. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Notice the prayers. I'll come back to that. So here we have a snapshot of the early church, and it tells us the church was dedicated to several things, one of which was the prayers or the ministry of prayer. Okay? When they gathered in homes, they broke bread together and they devoted themselves to prayer. Then we bounce over to Acts chapter 6, and here we see the church come together to deal with a problem, one of the early problems in the church. The Gentile widows felt overlooked in the distribution of food for the poor. And so the church prayed, and they appointed seven deacons, the very first deacons in the church, to oversee this ministry of feeding the poor. Here's how they put it. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the apostles, the leaders in this early church, appointed deacons to carry on this ministry of feeding the poor, and they said, we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And we've already seen the same wording used in Acts 1 and Acts 2. And I want you to understand, I don't think that the apostles are referring here to uh, simply private, personal prayer. Instead, I believe they're talking about the ministry of mobilizing God's people to pray together. For the third time in six chapters, Luke has made a point that the early church was devoted to corporate prayer. And he's highlighting in this verse two ministries that they especially were to do as church leaders. The ministry of corporate prayer and the ministry of teaching the word. Here's two clues that lead me to that conclusion. First, the context of Acts 6 here isn't so much about their personal lives, but about the ministry of the early church. And this section focused on the ministry to uh, people as a group in the early church 
And the leaders were mobilizing people to pray, and they were teaching the word of God. Here's the second clue. The definite article the before the word prayer in verse 4 points us to something significant. Now, if you're looking at your Bible, you're saying, I don't see a definite article the there. But I want you to listen as I read from the original text, the Greek text. But we to the prayer and to the ministry of the word will continue steadfastly. Now, in our English translations, the word the before prayer has been omitted. I'm guessing that the translators felt it reads smoother without that word there. But in the original, as I said, the word the appears before prayer. So it's the prayer and the ministry of the word. And the point is, it's not just prayer in general. It's the ministry of praying together in the church, and it's the ministry of teaching the word to the church that they're focusing on as a church. Scholars who look at this suggest that it's likely corporate prayer that's in view here in this verse. And indeed, every occurrence of prayer in Acts coming up to this chapter, coming up to Acts 6, pictures the apostle leading church gatherings and praying, praying together. And it does as we continue reading in Acts 2. Acts 12.5 is a passage where right after James was martyred, Herod imprisoned Peter, and he was intending to martyr or kill Peter as well. And so what did the church do? Well, the church prayed. They gathered together and prayed. Listen to Acts 12.5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer to him was made to God by the church. And if we had time, we'd keep reading in Acts chapter 12, and we'd see that they were gathered together in a home as a prayer, as a church, and, ga- and praying together for Peter's release. And it's plain that the apostles placed a very high priority on God's people meeting together for prayer. They considered guiding the corporate prayer life of the church just as critical a priority as teaching God's word to the church. Again, let me say I'm not disparaging personal private prayer at all. That's not my point. There are also examples in Acts of personal prayer that God answered, but the majority of God's recorded workings as we read about the early church came as his people prayed together. All right, that brings us now to a third proof. Praying together has been strategic throughout history. Corporate prayer, praying together, has been strategic. And there are many examples of how Corporate prayer has sort of been the springboard for sweeping movements of God in church history. I want to give you just one example. In 1857, America was riding a wave of prosperity, a strong economy, and as tends to be true in times like that, okay, there was a decrease in interest in spiritual things. Prosperity goes up, less people going to church, less people interested in God. And there was a layman in New York City called Jeremiah Lamphere who was concerned about that and decided that he was going to call the church to pray. He tacked up notices around New York City for weekly prayer meetings on Wednesdays at noon. And he rented a space for that to take place on Fulton Street. And here's how he describes what he was doing. And he said, and I quote, As a layman in the church, I want to do my part to bring others to church and to Christ. I was just a businessman, not a, just a layman, not a pastor or a preacher, but I knew that God could do something with me. The Lord laid on my heart to start a prayer meeting. 
And I began to hang flyers around the city and invite businessmen to come and pray during their lunch hour, end quote. Well, that first prayer meeting was on September 23, 1857, and six people showed up. The second week, the attendance jumped up to 20. Two weeks after he began those prayer meetings, the stock market crashed, and financial panic ensued. People who once relied on their money suddenly became dependent on God. And it wasn't long until somewhere between 10,000 and 50,000 businessmen were meeting in New York City weekly to pray. By week 15, the meetings moved from weekly meetings to daily meetings. In 1858, a few months later, the prayer movement leaped to every major city in America. And it was the beginning of the Second Great Awakening which swept across our country. Estimates are that one million out of a population of 30 million at that time were converted in less than two years. And it all started with prayer. And I can tell you story after story of how corporate prayer has, be, has been a catalyst for the mighty movements of God in our country and in our world. But instead, I want to add one more proof as to the value of corporate prayer. And this is number four. Praying together and God's working today. And I'm going to go back to the picture of prayer that I gave you a couple of weeks ago from the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 5, we have a scene that uh, takes us to the very throne room of God in heaven. It's a picture, I believe, of what God is doing today in heaven, but also part of what we'll be a part of uh, someday ourselves. And here's the revelation that the Apostle John received. Revelation 5.8 says this, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So Jesus takes the scroll, preparing to open it, and the elders fall down before the Lamb of God, each holding a harp in one hand and a golden bowl full of incense, which he says are the prayers of the saints. And I want you to notice that prayer is an important part of worship in heaven. The golden bowls, we're told, symbolize the prayers of God's people rising to the throne of God. Then just three chapters later in Revelation, we see another reference to a similar scene. Revelation 8.3 says this, And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So you're familiar with incense, probably. Incense is that strong, sweet-smelling perfume that happens when you light it on fire. And the Bible reminds us that our prayers are like that to God. It's like an offering. It's like a sweet aroma to our Heavenly Father. When you're praying, I hope you remember this image of your prayers rising up to heaven and being received by God as a sweet offering that actually blesses Him. It's something He looks forward to and enjoys. So on Thanksgiving night, after most of the family had gathered at our house, uh, we invited five of our grandkids to spend the night. 
So that was fun and interesting. And uh, Friday morning, I was in the living room in an overstuffed chair, reading with my three-year-old granddaughter, Lane, sitting beside me. And suddenly, she exclaims, Grampy, I love that smell. And I hadn't smelled anything yet, but when I paid attention, all of a sudden, I realized Bethlehem had just opened the oven door, uh, and the smell of cinnamon rolls was beginning to kind of waft our way. Fresh cinnamon rolls. And one of the best things about Thanksgiving, in my opinion, is and Christmas, uh, for that matter, is all of the great smells associated with it. Can you just think back to this last week and think of some of the smells you enjoyed in your home or wherever you were? What are some of your favorite Thanksgiving smells, for example? Cookies? Turkey? Yeah. Pumpkin pie. Yeah. Good. You're going. That's all. All of that is part of what makes Thanksgiving what it is. One of my other favorite smells uh, this Thanksgiving was the Ethiopian food that Malia Pritchard made and brought over and, uh, and gave as a gift to our girls. And uh, man, I just love the smell of Ethiopian food and all those spices that are so unique. And uh, I mean, talk about powerful smells and memories. You know, smells are very powerful. And some say that smell is our strongest sense when, in terms of triggering memories. Studies have shown that, actually. So how interesting that God makes this connection between the sweet smell of incense offerings and the prayers of his people. It's something that's important to him. It's something that's pleasing to him. Whether or not you enjoy the smell of incense, he says, this is how I feel about your prayers. And because God likens our prayers to bowls of sweet-smelling incense that rise up to him and bring him pleasure... We're going to add a visual reminder this year to our Christmas prayer emphasis. And we've collected these uh, glass vases to uh, put little ornaments in. So we have six of these glass vases around. So there's three up front here, and there's one over by the window there, and there's a couple on the uh, wooden table out in the gathering area. And we've also purchased 1,400 of these uh, little silver ornaments for you. All right, I want to explain that. So we're going to be writing down some names today of people that we're praying for to come to have a deeper relationship with Christ. And I'm going to ask you as you leave today to come up to one of these vases or the one out, ones out in the gathering area and drop one ornament for each name you write on your card today. Just sort of as a visual reminder of your committing to God to pray for these people over the next 24 days. And then as we come into church each week and see these vases, it'll just kind of be a reminder for us. Instead of the incense, we're going to be using the, uh, the silver balls and the vases. And then here's one final example of how praying together makes a difference in our world today. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you about one of our missionaries, Marlene, uh, who's serving Christ in Chad which is in Central Africa. And Chad is a country that's almost 60% Muslim. And Marlene asked us to be praying for a friend of hers, a young man, a 31-year-old young man who came to faith in Christ. And, and his father is very much opposed to that and, and uh, very upset that he's leaving Islam. And this young man's name is Bruce. His nickname is Bruce. And his father has threatened to kill him and has actually tried to kill him several times. 
And as we uh, left the story off a couple of weeks ago, Bruce was, his dad had locked his son up in a home in a secret location, was having him tortured in his attempt to try to have his son uh, reject Christ and return to Islam. And we prayed for Bruce together a couple of weeks ago. I also shared with you how uh, Bruce's uncle had been uh, coerced by Bruce's dad to go find Bruce and to, to kill him. And so Bruce's uncle came up to Bruce with a pistol and aimed it at his head and fired twice. And both times the bullets fell to the ground. God spared his life. And his uncle was so freaked out by that that he took off and said, I don't want to have anything to do with this. So God has done one miracle after another in keeping Bruce alive, including since we met and talked about this last time, God sent two men who volunteered to help him escape from this house where he was being tortured. Bruce indeed did escape, and he's been hiding since then. And uh, including one of the other interesting aspects to this is Bruce's father has an eye problem, and it's gotten so bad that he decided to leave Chad and to get medical attention elsewhere to try to get healing for his eyes. So it's kind of taken some of the heat off. Uh, But just uh, yesterday, uh, Marlene emailed again and said, uh, Bruce's father has uh, heard that that his son might still be alive, so he has a couple of thugs out looking for him to have him killed. So please keep praying for him, and we're going to pray for him again today at the end of our service. But what I'm saying is God does amazing things in response to God's people praying. Prayer requests for Bruce have literally gone all over the world. And hundreds and hundreds of people have been praying for him. And God has been at work. And this is not some isolated story about how God works. This is kind of the norm. If you want to have some uh, fun reading, uh, I'd encourage you this week to Google uh, Growing Church in Iran. Did you know that the fastest growing church in the world today is the underground church in Iran? With all of the turmoil going on there, the church is just exploding, the house church, house churches. And I'm inviting you to be part of that through corporate prayer today. So let's transition now and let's talk about our church's strategy for praying for the lost. What is our strategy as a church for being involved in this? Well, first of all, the emphasis of the New Testament is on corporate prayer. We've been talking about that, so that's just a summary statement. But I want to remind you, one of the benefits for us personally of being involved in corporate prayer gatherings is that it has a way of stimulating and breathing life into our personal prayer life. So that's an important thing to realize as well. Secondly, small groups are a very key aspect of our outreach strategy as a church. Because we are a church of small groups and a church that values prayer, We have purposed that all of our small groups put a strong priority on prayer. And I want to say thank you again to our small group leaders and to all of our small groups for keeping prayer a priority. That is super important. A major element of our gatherings needs to be prayer. So that's a key part of our outreach strategy as a church. That brings us to number three. Prayer focus groups are a key aspect of our strategy as well. So every week as a church... We have these prayer focus groups that gather and pray together over a specific focus. There's one meeting right now downstairs for the sanctity of human life in our country. And there's eight such groups that are listed in your bulletin each week. 
And uh, they're kind of scattered throughout the week. Some of them are weekly groups. Some of them are monthly prayer meetings. Uh, for example, there's the, uh, the ladies' prayer group that Debbie leads on, on Wednesday mornings here. All of you gals are invited to be a part of that. There's our prayer for the Tamajik, one of our unreached people groups that meets monthly, and our prayer for the uh, three people groups in Dagestan that meets monthly. But we send out emails with those as well. I want to encourage you, if you're not part of one of our prayer focus groups, to get involved in one of those. That would be a great next step for you to take. Because prayer is a key part to reaching people and seeing God do powerful things in people's lives. Here's number four. Prayer events are a key part of our strategy. So each year at Easter and at Christmas, we hold a special prayer event. Because these are seasons when people are especially open to spiritual things and especially open to even coming to church with you to an invite. And today, right after this service, is our Christmas concert of prayer. And it begins with a free lunch over in the gym. So I'm inviting you right after this service lets out to kind of make your way over to the gymnasium. There's a lunch that's going to be waiting for us there. And then uh, from 1230 to 1, we'll be over there and we'll eat. And then we'll walk back over here for the concert of prayer. And we're going to pray for our upcoming outreach events during the month of December. Now, the concert of prayer is for all ages. We do, however, provide child care for the younger children. But they're invited and welcome in here if uh, they'd like to be part of that as well. But we're going to sing a couple of songs. And then we're going to have the prayer time is divided into three brief sessions. And those are guided by bulleted prayer lists on the screen. So we just get in small groups six, seven, eight people, and pray for the things that are posted on the screen behind me. Time goes super fast. It's very enjoyable and encouraging. I want to encourage you to be part of that. Maybe you're not comfortable praying out loud. Don't let that keep you from being part of it. You can just come and you can pray silently while the rest of the group prays aloud. And if you have never been part of our concerts of prayer, you are missing out, and I want to encourage you to give it a try today. Please join us this year. And then we also have five more hours of corporate prayer that are scheduled on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Those times are in your bulletin, but Monday at 10 a.m. and 7 p.m., Tuesday at 10 a.m. and 7 p.m., and Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. We meet right out there in the gathering area. We set up a, some tables and chairs. We have uh, cookies and hot drinks together, and then we pray for the upcoming events in the month of December, and we pray for you and for the people that you're asking God to work in their lives, the people on your prayer cards, which I'll explain in a minute. So our Christmas prayer event is a very, very important part of our out outreach strategy as well. Here's number five. Invest in the lives of the people God places in your life. So just a few other suggestions to sort of help you share your faith effectively. And you can think of this as a simple five-step plan. Some of you have heard me share this so often that you can just buzz right ahead on your sermon notes and fill in all five blanks right now. So go ahead, consider it a quiz, and go for it. All right? Here's number one. Make a list and pray daily. Make a list and pray daily. Every year during the Christmas season, we pass around our prayer cards. We either call them Seven for Heaven cards or Invite and Invest cards. Here's what they look like. They, they should be on the... Uh, on the aisles, on the chairs of each of your rows. So at this time, if you would reach over and grab those and pass them down your row. And I'm asking that each person take a big one and a little one, one of each. 
And basically, they're the same. And they say this. These are the people God has placed in my life who need to know and follow Christ. I will pray for them daily and invite them to attend a Christmas service with me. So this is for everyone, all ages. And we're asking you to uh, write down two to five names on each card, the same names on both cards. And if you would, uh, write legibly and large enough so we can read it and put your own name on it so we can pray for you and your friendships with these people. Keep the, or drop the big one in the offering bag. If you don't get it done in time for that, you can drop it in the boxes by the back doors. And then the small card is for you to take home as your reminder card. We made it small so, guys, it can fit right in your wallet. And uh, you can take this home, but we're encouraging you to actually put it someplace where you'll see it daily as your reminder to pray for these people. You could put it like on your computer screen or, or bathroom mirror or by the sink or the dash of your car, someplace like that where you'll see it every day to remind you to pray. So make a prayer list and pray daily. Number two is work hard at becoming a genuine friend. So while prayer is important, it's certainly not the only thing. And we also need to be intentional about building friendships and relationships with people. Everybody is interested in friendship. Everybody needs friends. And we're just saying, just be yourself and include other people in the, the things that you enjoy doing. And the, but the point here is to invest in growing friendships. Third is meet a practical need in their life. You see, when you begin praying for people, God seems to have a way of bringing to your attention needs that they have that you can meet. And so as you pray for people, look for God to bring opportunities along where you can serve people, where you can encourage them. And then whatever you notice, if you notice a need or if God puts something on your heart, just consider that sort of a prompting from the Lord to kind of step in and offer to help. Fourth, offer to pray for a pressing need in their life. Listen, most people appreciate an offer like that. Even if they're not big on uh, church or prayer themselves, they are usually open to prayer. Everyone wants God's help, especially when they're in pain. So offer to pray for people in your life, and then be sure to follow through, of course. And then finally, step number five is to share the gospel with them or invite them to church. Share the gospel with them or invite them to church. In other words, be ready to be part of the answer to your own prayers. As you pray for those people, don't be surprised if God puts you in the position to be the answer to that prayer and to even share with him. So our Christmas events start next weekend. Next Saturday is the, uh, Christmas, the ladies' luncheon and tea. And then on Sunday, we, uh, Saturday night and on Sunday, we have the opening uh, sermon in our Christmas series, The Hope of Christmas. Why not just bring somebody with you? either next weekend or any of the other events that are coming throughout the, the month of December. And if, if some of your friends or family can't come with you or won't come with you or live out of town, um, there are many ways you can share your faith with them. You can give them a call, you can jot them a note or send them an email and share with them what, what Jesus Christ has done in your life and, and how you came to put your faith in him. So let's talk about some applications, some next steps as I wrap it up. My encouragement to you today is start by simply making the decision to take the 24-day 
challenge to grow in prayer. Prayer is the difference between the best that we can do and the best that he can do, that God can do. It's the difference between fighting for God and God fighting for us. And I'm simply giving you an invitation today to say yes to this prayer challenge. You don't need to be talented or popular. You don't need to be uh, smart or rich. You just need to have a heart that wants to get a hold of God. And I believe that we're going to experience sort of some shifts in our prayer lives as we take these next steps toward a deeper devotion to God in prayer. It all begins, however, with a choice to say yes. I will take the 24-day challenge to grow in prayer. I like the way God said it through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, you will seek for me and you will find me if you seek for me with all your heart. God's looking for people who are seeking him with all of our hearts. I also have a practical suggestion to you. As you take these steps, my encouragement is don't do it by yourself. Ask your spouse to do it with you. Ask a friend to do it with you. Ask your small group or someone in your small group to do it with you. But don't do it alone. Do it with another person, at least one. Next step number two is I will attend the concert of prayer today at 1230. Beloved, the early church was devoted to prayer. And because of that, they turned the world upside down in their day. In part because of their devotion to corporate prayer. And I believe God wants us to have that same devotion. Our concert of prayer is one of the highlights of our church year at Lake City. So please choose to be a part of it today after the service is over. Please join us. Next step three is I will attend at least two hours of prayer on December 2 to 4. So we have five more hours of prayer, as I said, on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, in addition to the concert of prayer today. The times are in your bulletin. Would you make a commitment to come to at least one of those? My encouragement each year is to just add one more hour than you were able to do last year, to kind of take the next step. Next step four is I will invite at least one person to the Christmas series. So the hope of Christmas is our series this year. It begins next uh, weekend, and it's based on Isaiah 9. I want to encourage you uh, to read Isaiah 9, 1 to 7 sometime this week in preparation for our our sermon series, and you'll be all set, and and, uh, the pump will be primed. So invite a friend to, to come with you to church. There's a pack of invite cards out on the wooden tables on this side of the gathering area. They look like this. They're wrapped up with a rubber band. So grab a pack of those invite cards on your way out today, and you can simply invite someone, hand that to them, and invite them to come with you to one of those services. Next step five, I will help with Operation Good Neighbor on December 8th. So next Sunday, right after this last service, We're going to be passing out cookies to the houses, to the people in our neighborhood here at church. We did this last year, and it was such a hit that we decided to do it again this year. And we pass out a plate of cookies along with an invitation to our Christmas services. So we need cookie bakers this week, and we need people next Sunday who are willing to deliver a plate of cookies uh, and drop them off at doors in the houses around the church in our neighborhood. And if you would, it'd be great if, we could, uh, if you'd let us know ahead of time that you're either baking cookies or you're going to 
uh, deliver cookies, you can write that on your communication card today, and uh, that way we'll sort of be ready and prepared. Here's next step number six. I will also devote myself to prayer by, you can fill in that blank. So whatever else the Spirit of God is putting on your heart today, just jot it down as a reminder to yourself. Maybe it's joining one of the prayer focus groups I I mentioned, or maybe it's uh, signing up on your communication card to be part of our uh, email prayer team. So I didn't talk about that today, but we have an email prayer team that gets all of the prayer requests that you write down each week. If you write down on your prayer, your communication card um, today, we'll add your email. Give us your email too, and we'll add you to the list. But decide what you want to do to sort of take that next step. And, may, and if we haven't already listed it there, jot it down here, whatever the Spirit of God is saying to you. And then finally, number seven, I will pray daily for those on my prayer list. Our main application today is for each of us to make that prayer list, that invest and invite card, and to pray daily over the next 24 days for the people God has placed in our lives who need to know him. And again, at the end of the service today, please come up, find one of the vases here or out in the gathering area, and drop one of the ornaments in the vase for each of the names on your list. And that will be a reminder to you week after week of your commitment to pray, which is a, your gift to God. Finally, I don't know if you have made a decision to trust Christ as your personal Savior yet, but if you haven't, today would be a great day to do that. If you aren't sure that your sins are forgiven and and if you don't know without a doubt that you're going to heaven, you can have assurance of that. You can't earn God's forgiveness, but you can receive it as his free gift to you. You don't have to understand everything about how God forgives, but you do have to ask God to forgive you and make a decision to follow Christ. And I'm going to give you a chance to do that as we get down to the, uh, the Lord's table in just a minute when we close in prayer. But I want to close with a story today that reminds us about the value of reaching people for Christ. It's the true story of Private First Class Desmond Doss, who won a Congressional Medal of Honor for saving something like 75 soldiers during World War II. His story was made famous a few years ago in the movie Hacksaw Ridge, which some of you probably saw. Private Doss was a God-fearing man. He was actually a Seventh-day Adventist who happened to also be a conscientious objector. But he felt called by God to serve his country in the military anyway. And so he volunteered as a medic. And without anything to protect himself besides his Bible, He went to the front lines and served, and he was responsible for saving many soldiers by lowering them by ropes down a 400-foot cliff to the beach below him. That battle became a key one in winning the Battle of Okinawa. And the scene that I'm going to show you in this video clip is a very dark scene for the most part, so don't expect to be able to see a whole lot. But I want you to listen particularly for one phrase that he repeats numerous times. Facing heavy machine gun fire and artillery fire, Das repeatedly ran alone into the kill zone and carried or drug wounded soldiers to the edge of the cliff and then lowered them to safety below. And every time he was getting ready to do that or was finding the strength to lower that man over the cliff, Das would pray these words out loud. 
Lord, please help me get just one more. By the end of the night, he had single-handedly rescued an estimated 75 men. So let's watch that scene now. I can't stay here while all them go fight for me. Yes, you can. Dorothy, you can stay here. I have to. Them dolls, kids. Crazy as their old man. Are you going to ask me to marry you or what? You got to sit and think and pray about everything. You won't be able to live with yourself if you go. No, I won't be able to live with myself if I don't. I'm going to be a medic. And that's going to be my way to serve. You keep it right here. Where I'll be. Beloved, reaching the lost people God has placed in our lives is what this is all about. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. Because everyone who has not put their faith in Jesus Christ and received his forgiveness is heading into an eternity without God. And beloved, our task as followers of Jesus Christ is to help save people from that destiny. We've been given the commission to go and to make disciples of all nations. Of course, that starts with praying for people and then helping people find Christ, sharing with them how they can have forgiveness themselves. Because those who are without Christ are dying just as real as those who are wounded on the battlefield. And I'm believing that God has something special for you and for me, for us as a church, as we enter into this season, this 24-day prayer challenge. I'm excited about where God is going to take us as a church in December, and I'm praying for us in that way.